National Football League season. I'll be joined in a few minutes by Kevin Clark of the Ringer, who I just think is fantastic. And he's written some really good things in training camp this year. We're going to touch on a couple of things. The underrated Matt LaFleur and the well-rated Joe Burrow. So happy to be joined by Kevin in a few. Before we get to that, I want to run down how we're going to do this podcast this week. Um, I'm going to preview a little bit of my picks, and then I'm going to talk to Kevin, and then I'm going to go through all of my picks after I talk to Kevin Clark. So just to start, I picked a, as I call it, an Arctic Circle Super Bowl, and soon was reminded that neither of these cities is actually in the Arctic Circle. No crap, Sherlock. Yes, I understand that. So I picked Buffalo to beat Green Bay. And I picked Buffalo because, in my opinion, they are the deepest team in pro football with the most dangerous quarterback in pro football. No team is flawless, but this team addressed a flaw in the offseason by signing Von Miller for too much money, but when you see that you've got to do a, you've got to stretch to a certain degree to get this player and you've got to guarantee three full years on his contract, which, you know, when you're 33 years old, I think that's what he is. Uh, that's, that's a big stretch. And they've also got to find a way to keep Von Miller healthy for the year. As general manager Brandon Bean said, we got Von Miller, we got Von Miller to close games. So they need to make absolutely sure that even though he's going to be healthy as a mule early, they don't overuse him early and get him hurt so he's not going to be there when the games really count. As far as Green Bay goes, I wrote in my column that pretty ironic that they would have to go on the road, which I think they may have to do to uh, get to a Super Bowl. And they haven't been to a Super Bowl in 12 years. But I think that this is the year. Uh, I just think Aaron Rodgers, there's very few people who are as motivated by outside noise as Aaron Rodgers is. He understands what everybody is saying. You can't win without Devontae Adams or you can't win to the level that you have. And I also think it's a big help, obviously, uh, getting Rich Bisaccia in there to coach special teams to really put an emphasis on special teams for the first time in years in Green Bay. So that's my Super Bowl pick. We're going to go through the rest of my picks and the seeds in both conferences when I come back. And I want to give you just a little bit of a teaser, okay? I want to tell you who I think is going to be in contention for the Defensive Player of the Year Award with Aaron Donald. And in fact, who I pick second in the Defensive Player of the Year balloting this year. And you could probably guess for a long time and would not guess who he is. That is, unless you read my column this week. So that'll be my little tease to come back after we talk to uh, my friend Kevin Clark uh, from The Ringer. Happy to be joined now by Kevin Clark of The Ringer. Um, we've been talking about him a little bit earlier in the show and, uh, I really love Kevin's writing and so much of his, 
reporting is so cool. And I wanted to wait until he came on to read to read my favorite sentence that he wrote this summer. <laughs> and he's written a lot of really good sentences this summer, uh, particularly in stories about Joe Burrow and Matt LaFleur. But Kevin, the best sentence that you wrote this summer is the following. It's in a story about Green Bay Packers coach Matt LaFleur. And it says... Once he hits 50 games total coached, which will happen week one of this season, he can take his rightful place atop the all-time winning percentage for coaches, a spot currently occupied by Guy Chamberlain, last seen coaching the 1927 Chicago Cardinals and retiring in his mid-30s to become a farmer. (laughs) Okay. All right, so now you've got to explain yeah. yourself, Kevin Clark, of all the things that you thought I was going to ask you this morning. I bet it's not about Guy Chamberlain retiring to become a farmer. I was fascinated by this because it was last uh, fall when Matt LaFleur was atop that that winning percentage mark um, that I even discovered who Guy Chamberlain was, Peter. And I looked it up and it's fascinating. I love the golden sort of the, the beginnings of football and kind of, you know, the, the car dealership where, where the NFL was founded. And so when I was looking up Guy Chamberlain for this story and it was just one line in the story, I mean, it's unbelievable that the thing that now, you know, what Goodell said, they're going to make 25 billion in a couple of years. The thing that makes billions of dollars for everybody, uh, guys used to just bail as the winningest coach of all time to just become a farmer in their mid thirties. It's really astounding. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world. The one thing about Guy Chamberlain I thought that was fascinating is he inherited a team who inherited a team from Jim Thorpe. And so you want to talk about, you know, <laughs> why you why you wouldn't uh, get the credit you deserve. We're all talking about Aaron Rodgers and maybe Matt LaFleur doesn't get the credit he gets. Guy Chamberlain inherited a team that Jim Thorpe built. So that's that's another externality. That's really pretty good. Um, you know, I, I want to just stay on Matt LaFleur for a minute. And we're going to talk about, I want to go around the league because there aren't many people now who go around to a lot of training camps. I think you and I are two of the last of a species of that. Um, so there's a bunch of teams I want to ask you about, but I'm really curious about LaFleur because see, I think one of his strengths as a coach and you write about, the unappreciated Matt LaFleur, and I so think that's right. I want to tell you a quick story. A long time ago, I was writing for Newsday, and I was covering the New York Giants, but in those days, in the offseason, you had to do different things. And I remember once I had to go out and do a story on the Los Angeles Lakers. And so I spent two or three days around him, and Pat Riley gave me an hour one day, And I said, what about the criticism of you and about the lack of appreciation of you that stems from the fact, oh, he's just got to roll the ball out there. And he launched into, because the players are so great, and he launched into this long diatribe that he basically said, I'm going to tell you what I do. We separate our season into like 10 game periods. And I tell Kurt Rambis, okay, look, you average 4.8 rebounds a game the last 
10 games. I want to be 25% better in the next 10. So every time Kurt Rambis goes out there, he's got it in his head that I got to get two more boards today than I've been getting. I have to do this Mm -hmm. more. And he said, I think it's something with every player on my team. And I thought, how brilliant. Nobody even knows that. It's the coolest thing. And the one thing in your story that I take away, because when I read a story that I really like, like I liked your Matt LaFleur story, I always think of one thing that just sticks with me. And it's, it has to do with Aaron Rodgers. And he says, if I see any other quarterback do something, I say to our staff, we can do that too. We're yeah. only limited by our own imagination. And I just think that sounds simple. It sounds easy. But I know that there are many examples of him seeing something that Sean Payton might have done yeah. or Sean McVay or Kyle Shanahan or, or, or anybody said, you know, why can't we do this? And that's one of the things that I think, and he knows that he's got a UNIVAC computer or whatever you'd call Aaron Rodgers who can process <laughs> everything and do yeah. anything. So why not keep challenging him? It's really fascinating because LaFleur talks about in 2012 sitting around in Washington with Mike McDaniel and Kyle Shanahan and those guys and basically saying, God, if we ever got Aaron Rodgers in this offense, if we ever got Aaron Rodgers in the offense, the things we could do. And I would run that past people, whether that's Mike McDaniel or, or Sean McVay or whomever, and they'd say, yeah, you know who else was doing that? 31 other coaching staffs. They were also saying, God, if we could only get Aaron Rodgers in our offense. And so I thought that was a really funny way to look at it. Of course, you know, I'm sure that you, you know, Sean Payton was sitting around saying, man, if we could only get that, if we could get that guy in our offense. Um, but having said that, I mean, what LaFleur has been able to do is really fascinating because he's taken his concepts, the Shanahan McVay style playbook that he obviously had a, a large say in helping shape over the past decade. And he blended that with things that are Mike McCarthy plays, frankly. And that I think is what impressed Aaron Rodgers. Um, you know, you're not going to be as smart as, as Aaron Rodgers is about playing quarterback. Matt LaFleur played for the Omaha Beef in 2003, uh, but he is not the type of quarterback mind Aaron Rodgers is. What you can do is you can A, grind, which we know Matt LaFleur is going to do, and B, give Aaron Rodgers what he wants, which is easy throws. There's a play called strike we talked about in the story where basically it's a blind throw. Aaron Rodgers wasn't super comfortable with it, but he said, hey, keep doing this, keep working at it, and you're going to get open looks. And Aaron Rodgers is now maybe the best in the league at it, um, along with a couple other guys, including Ryan Tannehill. Um, but these guys can do play action really well. And I think that what you're seeing here is a coach who's adaptable enough. Everybody I talked to, Sean McVay being first among them, Brian Gunskins talked about this, said the, the humility Matt LaFleur shows in the playbook to say Aaron Rodgers can do this, so we're going to, we're going to change our offense in this way is as impressive as anything right now in offensive football in the NFL. Yeah, I just, I like the fact that, you know, because look, you know this, Kevin, having been around Aaron Rodgers a lot, um, that it takes a really good and really smart coach to be able to coach Aaron Rodgers and to be able to take all the crap that's going to flow from Rodgers to him. And one of the really cool things about your story is that how you wrote about 
how Rogers just lives to troll, uh, <laughs> you know, his head coach. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a weird thing to think because <laughs> I can't imagine Terry Bradshaw trolling Chuck Knoll. And if he did, uh, Chuck Knoll would have put him in maximum security. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just, we're at a, we're at a different point in NFL history. And we're at the point in NFL history where a coach has to understand. I mean, Matt LaFleur said something really interesting to me this summer. You know, he read a lot this offseason, and a lot of what he read was about understanding human behavior. Mm -hmm. Because I think he believes that the days of coaches yelling at players, those days have got to be over. You know, that that he doesn't want, he, and he told his coaches this summer, he said, listen, if a guy makes a mistake, teach him. Don't yell at yeah. him. Teach him what he did wrong. And if he makes the mistake two or three more times, he's out. We're getting rid of him. Just make him understand that. Don't scream at him. And I think that's so smart with today's player, even though there are some times, clearly, that voices are going to be raised. But that's the one thing I like about him. And there was one other part of your story that was fascinating to me, and that is that Aaron Rodgers, when they were at David Bakhtiari's wedding this offseason, you know, told him, well, I'm really thinking about yeah. retiring. You know, <laughs> really, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah. And his friends knew that he was kidding around, that he was yeah. coming back. And Matt LaFleur was determined to not ask Aaron Rodgers or not to not talk about him because Push he him, just yeah. figured I'm not going to put more pressure on him than he already has. I thought that was yeah. really telling. I think it's fascinating because you and I both know that really at the start of the previous decade, a lot of teams were trying to figure out how to understand millennials. That was the big thing. It was, you know, teams were yeah. doing studies and had, they're always on their phone and all of this stuff. And what was fascinating to me is that you a lot of those teams never necessarily figured it out, like Jeff Fisher's Rams. I don't think Jeff Fisher ever actually figured it out. Having said that, a guy like Matt LaFleur is the absolute, to your point, the absolute best coach for a, a group of 20 and 30-somethings right now who are superstars yeah. and wants to be player-led. I don't think, somebody asked me this last week, I don't think that, that, that Matt LaFleur would be an incredible coach for taking over the Chicago Bears right now. And, and try, and I don't think he would win, certainly wouldn't win 12, 13 games, right? Um, where he's trying to build something and, he's, and, and you're starting from scratch. But the player-led focus for the Green Bay Packers, we have all of these stars, not just Aaron Rodgers, but obviously you had Devontae Adams, you have Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark, all those guys. Um, Aaron Jones, who just swears by him. I mean, Devontae Campbell basically said, my breakout is because of, of the freedom Matt LaFleur gave me. Mercedes Lewis said he wouldn't even be in the league anymore if he didn't like playing, and he only likes playing for Matt LaFleur. And so it, it's, it's fascinating to see. It's almost NBA-ish. I made the comparison in my story. It's almost NBA-ish where he wants the players to lead, which is not common. You know this. And so he understands how today's players work, Matt LaFleur. And I think that that's, that's a fascinating part of it. You know, the, the, the trolling thing is so funny to me. First of all, I think Matt and, and Aaron have a different relationship because their ages are so close together, which is, is, is different from most uh, NFL coach-quarterback pairings. Um, but then on the other hand, like, so – I heard the story that, that that Aaron was kind of making fun of, of Matt or kind of ribbing him about retirement at Dave Bakhtiari's wedding. So I find Aaron 
And he explains what I said in the story, which is that, you know, he didn't even stick in his brain because he makes fun of Matt to his face so often, he couldn't even recreate to me what, what exactly that was, right? And so then he goes on this whole rant about how he loves trolling his head coach. And we weren't in a, you know how this can be awkward sometimes. We were not in an interview setting. I just found him in the hallway, okay? And so at the end of this, I said, Aaron, I just need to make sure that you're okay with me quoting you because we're just kind of in a hallway here. And he just looks at me like, of course, of course, I want to be quoted on trolling my head coach. Like, that's the funny, that's the difference. It's like, could you imagine Terry Bradshaw not only trolling his head coach and Chuck Knoll, but wanting everybody in the media to know about it? That's the Aaron Rodgers difference. That's why I think Matt LaFleur's coaching job to take this approach and say, Aaron, I'm going to let you be you is so impressive. I think the one other part of this, one thing that really comes to mind when you tell this story I remember 10 years ago when Peyton Manning went to the Broncos. Um, and I'll never forget having a long conversation with John Elway a few days after uh, Manning had committed uh, to play for Denver. And I said, you know, I still haven't found out the exact reason why. I said, what did he say when you when you asked him why you made this decision? And he looked at me and he goes, oh, I didn't ask him. <laughs> I said, you didn't ask him? And he goes, no. I figure if he wanted to tell me, he'd tell me. But yeah. it's really none of my business. It's his decision. <laughs> and I thought that was so interesting. Don't you yeah. want to know that? And so... And I was thinking about this in a very, very weird and ridiculously personal way. Uh, we were visiting my daughter last year in Seattle, and she was pregnant, and she was about to have her first child. And she said, Dad, um, we're thinking of naming uh, our, our baby after you. Is that okay? We're thinking of naming him Peter. That's great. And I said, oh, is it okay? Are you kidding me? That'd be like <laughs> the highlight of my life. That's the greatest thing I ever heard. And a friend of mine said, Oh, what was, give me, give me her reasoning. What happened? What happened? And I said, <laughs> I didn't ask her. I mean, you know, it's her business if she wants to tell me one day she can, but, but I, I, I just felt like that's like, that's, that's a lot more personal than, you yeah. know, with Peyton Manning, but it just goes down as one of those things like, you know, it's weird to compare that, but I, I really no. think that that Matt LaFleur thinks that, hey, listen, when he's ready to tell me, he'll tell me. And I just, yep. I like that way of doing business because otherwise you probably are putting a little heat on the guy that doesn't help the situation. And even, by the way, even when Aaron Rodgers makes fun of him to his face at David Bakhtiari's wedding, he said, even though he said he was terrified, he was putting on his poker face as much as possible, he said, I will not break. I will not make any comments. He went back to his office coordinator, Adam Stanovich, after the wedding and said, I don't have a good feeling about this. And Stanovich said, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. But even in the face of all of this, he would not say anything to Aaron Rodgers because he was so worried about pushing him too far. He's, he, he, yeah. Both those guys are hysterical. I told my bosses, it's like, it's almost, it was almost like I wish it could have been a narrative. That story could have been a narrative podcast because just going back and forth to, to each of them 
and telling them what the other person said and then them one-upping each other was just so unbelievably funny. I mean, it's almost like, it's like a romantic comedy. Those guys are just such a bromance right now. It was so funny to, to kind of play that game of telephone. Hey, so let's talk about the Packers a little bit. I ended sure. up picking the Packers as my team to win the NFC. I don't really love any team in the NFC. I think they all right. have major zits on the middle of their foreheads. But I picked the Packers because I think they're going to have a top five defense by the end of the year. And I think it may be by the beginning of the year. But, yes. but I also think that Aaron Rodgers, nobody hears noise on the outside and responds to noise with as much vitriol uh, as Aaron Rodgers does. So he knows that everybody's saying, well, oh, no Devontae Adams, man. It's going to take yeah. Romeo Dobbs a year or Christian Watson or whoever, Alan Lazard, no MVS, no security blanket. Um, but I just think Aaron Rodgers hears all this, understands mm. all this, and he will get his players mentally whipped into shape so that they can win big games, enough big games during the course yeah. of this year. And, and, and one other thing, Kevin, the thing about winning a lot of games during the course of the year is that you're in a division with Chicago and Detroit. And even though I think yeah. Detroit is better, you're still in a division with Chicago and Detroit. Whereas the Rams are in a division with three teams that could beat them on any day. And so that's why, to me, I kind of like the Packers maybe this year to do what they haven't done in the past, which is get to their first Super Bowl in 12 years. And special teams upgrade. I mean, they, they, they win yeah. that game against SF last year if they have even decent special teams. So um, getting Rich Passaccia is, is massive. It was funny. I, I talked about this at the LSU FSU game the other day. Um, but Bill Parcells in his book, and I know that you've been around this all the time, he says the number one, the number one thing to turning around a team is special teams. No matter what you do in, you know, coming in, whatever it was, Air Force, whatever it could have been, Giants, first thing you do, upgrade special teams, get you a couple more wins. And so you go from a team like the Packers that, frankly, seemed like if you look at their, their hiring track record, kind of neglected the special teams coaching job to going out and getting one of the best in, in the world, that's that's huge for me. And then you add in, I mean, listen, the building blocks are always going to be coaching quarterback. The defensive pieces are, are amazing. If David Bakhtiari is healthy and can play in week one, that's massive. But if, if he can play by January, that's really all that matters. Um, the amount of blue chip talent is astounding. I'm with you. I picked them to win the NFC. I picked them to win the Super Bowl. Um, I just think that a lot of times, if everything continues in place, and I do think the two players from Georgia they took in the first round, are, are huge, huge, huge pieces. And, um, you know, it's funny because Quay Walker, I mean, Kirby Smart tells the story now that basically Quay Walker was, was, was almost a member of the coaching staff last year at Georgia, um, where they would take the pads off, uh, you know, in week 10 or whatever. And he'd say, no, 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 we're putting the pads back on. And he's such a leader. And to have him in the locker room, I think, as a rookie is important. Um, Wyatt, I think, is, is going to be very good. So while you take all of that talent, all of the coaching prowess that we talked about, and you add it with the fact that, you know, one thing I found fascinating about Matt LaFleur when I was talking about the playoffs is he said Sean McVay said to him, 
that the playoffs, the NFL playoffs, are the closest thing to March Madness you have in sports that's not March Madness. And you kind of just have to get there and then learn what it's all about. I talked to Sean McVay about this. He basically said, you learn it's not the best team that, that wins, it's the best team in that three-hour window. And so you learn how to prepare a team for that three-hour window and maximize that. And philosophically, what do you say before the game? And it takes a couple of reps. Yes, there are coaches who get to the Super Bowl in their first shot, but it's such a different animal. And, you know, LaFleur, he mentioned the fact they get the bye every year. And so they're playing really good teams right off the bat. A coach like Kyle Shanahan, who seems to, I guess you could say, have his number um, on, on, on most situations, certainly did last year. And so I think it becomes a mental thing. But I think you can only get that experience through repetition. You know, outside of Aaron Rodgers, it is kind of a young team. Uh, but I, I think they break through. I think that the history of football is everybody can't win the big one until they can, Peter. And and, and that's Matt LaFleur this year. Yeah, I think I think Rodgers is going to feel that come January. Yeah. Because he has come up small his last two mega games at Lambeau Field in January. So that's important. One little postscript about special teams. Yeah. Um, For you to bring up Parcells, I think is the perfect, perfect example because I'll never forget the morning after the New York Giants won their second Super Bowl under Parcells. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, The morning after when they beat the Buffalo Bills in Tampa, the next morning I was with Parcells And he said, do you realize, because we were talking about special teams, Mm -hmm. four of the five most valuable players on this team this year were special teams players, okay? The punter, Sean Landetter, the kicker, Matt Barr, uh, the the gunner, Renee Thompson, who was, you know, Steve Tasker plus that year, and then the return guy, Dave Meggett, along with Lawrence Taylor, who had his last really good year in the NFL – in 1990, Parcells said, that's why we won the Super Bowl. And so to me, I just think, you know, I made a, I made a statement. I may live to regret it. I probably will. <laughs> but I think the addition, the addition of Rich Bisaccia for Green yeah. Bay this year is going to be more significant than the subtraction yeah. of Devontae Adams. And my theory is Rodgers is going to figure all that stuff out. Yeah. But you can't just say, oh, we'll figure out special teams. You can't do that. You've got to devote time, energy, and as, you know, really what what Brian Gutekunst has done this year is he's devoted three roster spots, three, to special teams players on his final 53. And he's got another one on his practice squad. So to me, I I, kind of like Green Bay. I want to get to one other point that you made in a story that I really like. And then I want to get to who you like in the Super Bowl and blah, blah, blah. But you wrote about Joe Burrow. And one of the things that I really took away from the story, it's about, it's not just the art of a deep ball. And it's not just being able to throw it and throw it accurately. It's about understanding during the course of a game where you are going to be able to make a play, what you are going to be able to do as the game goes on and on and on. And I'd love you to tell the story about the time last year in Kansas City when Joe Burrow in the third quarter looks at Jamar Chase on the sidelines and says, you're going to catch a touchdown soon. 
and he knew exactly why and he knew how he was going to do it. Explain. The hardest part of nailing down all of those stories, Peter, is there's so many called shots from Joe Burrow that I would go, hey, can you tell me that they called shot in Kansas City and say, oh, which one? And it's like, well, this one, the third quarter. I mean, it was so funny. But the story, the thing you're talking about, it happened in the first the first Chief, Chiefs-Bengals game. And it's almost, almost super, supernatural when you hear the story. I mean, just Joe Burrow looking at his coaches and Jamar Chase and saying, we're about to score a touchdown. Jamar, get ready. We're going to score a touchdown. So – um, it's the third quarter and Joe Burrow has been running this play. Uh, it's ba- they basically had these Tyler Boyd outs the whole time and it's not really getting where it needs to be, but he's noticing every single time that Daniel Sorensen is not getting enough width, uh, as, as this, this deep, deep safety and the chiefs are getting into two deep looks and he's saying, man, if I just throw it to Jamar Chase, who's not even a part of the play. Zach Taylor called it a, a love for the run of the game route. Okay, that's where we are at this point, is that Jamar Chase is not part of this play. But he said, man, if I just throw it to Jamar Chase down the left sideline, they are so committed to the middle of the field that nobody's going to be able to get over there. I mean, this is schoolyard stuff. I mean, the, the way it's described, if you just say, hey, he's over there, I'm going to throw it over here, go run, like you're, no one's going to catch you. That's the kind of stuff you draw up in middle school. It's amazing to, to, to hear it at the NFL level. Um, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, they, they ran the play again. He threw it to Jamar Chase immediately. And everything Joe Burrow said was going to happen, happened. Uh, nobody could get there. Sorensen was not in position. He was flat-footed. Uh, and, and, and they scored the touchdown. And it happens all the time. Um, Brian Callahan, the OC, said that the Joe Burrow will, will say, we, don't, we can't let them play like this all the time. Same, same exact play basically happened uh, against the Jets where – that they were not playing wide enough. And Joe, Joe basically said, Joe said, sorry about that, Peter. I, I got a little battery there. Um, Joe said, they're not getting up with, and I'm going to take it down the right sideline and get a huge play. Like the ability, the spatial awareness of Joe Burrow is astounding. And the way he uses it on the field is, is unlike anything most people have ever seen. Maybe Brian Callahan coached Peyton. So it's a little bit different, but you know, Zach Taylor was telling me, he, he can see double coverage and know it's not double coverage because of the way a defensive back shoulder is turned or, or, you know, this isn't double coverage because uh, T Higgins is the only person who can see me. And so I can underthrow the ball and only he can see it. So it doesn't matter if he's, if there's two or three people back there. I mean, I can't, this is a family podcast, so I can't even tell you the, the words that these guys use when they're saying the, the ball is coming towards me and it shouldn't. I mean, there's a lot of curse words saying like, oh my God, I can't believe Joe Burrow is throwing me the ball. Um, it is astounding to hear these anecdotes. Um, so in the couple of minutes we have left, I want to ask you, I left uh, my training camp trip really liking Buffalo. Obviously we were there yeah. the same day, right at the beginning of camp. Um, they've had a few... Uh, a few bumps along the way, Matariza, that kind of stuff. But I just, I feel like their depth is really going to help them because, yes. look, Tredavious White is their best cornerback, and I don't sense any great worry that he's going to miss the first game, four games of the year, maybe more, because of Kyir Elam. And it, I just sense that, they think they've got enough. You left Buffalo and you thought what? AFC East champs. 
Um, I, I'm intrigued to see the Brian Dable to Ken Dorsey transition. I do think that Ken Dorsey is a very, very good offensive coordinator. He's been he's done wonders for uh, in that in that quarterback room over the past couple of years. So that's the one pause I have. Um, I don't think that division is going to be all that good. I do think the Dolphins uh, will probably make the playoffs, but that's kind of a um, I, I feel much less confident in that than I do with the, the AFC East. Uh, the Bills win the AFC East, rather. Um, so I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see what this looks like this year. Uh, but they're, they're an absolute playoff team. I just think I've never been more compelled in my time covering the league, really, which is a decade now, uh, with any conference more than I am the AFC this year. Because any, there are, I would say, all but three teams have a legitimate path to actual true contention, true kind of Bengals 2021 contention um there's a couple of teams that are just hopeless but you think about even a team like the raiders where in most years we'd say okay they have enough well do they because it's going to come down to luck and health and a couple of big plays down down the stretch in november and december i've never seen a tighter pack and so it's hard for me to say okay the bills have all this depth depth is 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 the barrier for entry in the asu this year depth everybody's got depth um it's fascinating to see i do think kind of in the same way we're talking about the packers where eventually they'll break through i just don't know if it's going to be this year, I'm, I'm not picking them to, to progress that far in the playoffs. I'm, I'm thinking maybe a, a second round and done situation for Buffalo. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm probably a prisoner of what I saw the last eight days of the of Buffalo season when they put up 83 points and, yeah. uh, and Josh Allen just undressed Bill Belichick on yeah. an absolutely horrible day to play football in Orchard Park, <laughs> New York, where it looked like the Bills were playing in 72-degree windless conditions on a September afternoon but, in Orchard Park. It, it, statistically, was just, it was incredible. So It was the first perfect game in the history of football. No punts, no field goals, yeah. no turnovers on downs. They scored a touchdown every time they had a ball, the ball except Neil Downs. And, and to do that against the best defensive coach in history is amazing. I just don't know if they're going to be able to do that again. You know, the AFC West is one coach in that division told me this summer, um, here's how good our division is. Any road win in a division game will not be an upset. Yep. And I just thought, how perfect is that? It's just absolutely perfect. And look, I didn't pick Denver or Las Vegas to make the playoffs. And yet, I could see a scenario where either of those teams could win yeah. two playoff games. I mean, so I don't know. I who do you like in that division? Uh, I like so this is this is uh, playing both sides here. I picked the Chiefs to win the division. I picked the Chargers to make the Super Bowl. Um, I think that they're one A and one B. I think Justin Herbert is an absolute phenomenal. Uh, the Chiefs have the edge in coaching, but the Chargers roster is really really good. Um, I, I, I just think that we're going to see it's, it's funny because obviously, um, timelines are different. The injury thing with Burrow was, was, was a complication, but I think we're going to see a, a Joe Burrow like rise from, from Justin Herbert, even though Justin Herbert looked like one of the best quarterbacks in football last year. I just think from a win standpoint, we're going to see a string of November and December games where Justin Herbert looks like the best player in football. He puts the entire franchise on his back and all of a sudden he's playing in the Super Bowl. Um, in Phoenix. I, I, I just, I, I think that everything is building up to that. Steven Ruiz, my colleague, uh, went out to Chargers camp a couple of, of weeks ago, and he was talking to the quarterbacks coach, Shane Day. And Shane said that he has a folder 
on his computer called Justin Herbert is the best quarterback of all time. And it's just of him throwing the ball, Justin Herbert throwing the ball and Shane Day watches it when he's feeling down just to remind himself how good his quarterback is. And I think you start to hear these stories and it's like, that's, that's what we heard from Joe Burrow before that breakout. That's what we heard from him in college. I mean, you get, you start to hear these stories and they're precursors to a massive run. And he's a special guy. He was on, you know, I talked to Justin twice um, over the summer, once on, on my show, Slow News Day, and then again on the NFL show. And I just feel like he, he understands football at a completely higher level than, than most young quarterbacks do. I'm fascinated to see it. I think we're going to see a massive rise. I think the Chiefs are going to win a ton of games this year. But I think we're going to see some special play from Justin Herbert. It's going to be the massive difference. And, you know, I agree with you in the AFC West. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those teams won the division, not not made the playoffs, won the division. I mean, like, you talk about the road games. You know, but listen, I, John Wooden had that old line that there, there's no such thing as, as an upset if it's a conference game and it's on the road. Like, that's the AFC West right now. There is no – I mean, you saw it last year. I mean, even the Raiders played the Chiefs uh, tough last year, and they didn't even have Devontae Adams. So – I think we're seeing a lot of parity. I wouldn't be surprised if there's three playoff teams from that from that division. Um, I'm fascinated to see it, but I just I think the Chargers have a special season ahead. You know, the one thing that I'll never forget about my visit to Chargers camp this year is when uh, Justin Herbert. You know, each day I was there, I saw twice them practice against the Dallas Cowboys, and each day I was there. He threw a pass or two that he didn't like in practice against the Cowboys. And he stayed after practice and he threw, I'm conservatively 50, probably 60 of yeah. the precise same route over and over and over again. And, you know, one time he was on the field for 37 minutes after both teams had walked off the field. Yep. And I mean, there is something about that that just tells you that this guy is uh, that this guy wants it pretty bad, and that this guy understands what it takes to be great, and that is to work on your weaknesses. And I'm not even saying they're weaknesses; they're just he right. made a bad play, and or what he thought was a bad play, you know, and he just worked on it over and over again. All right, I'm going to itch out on this Super Bowl Fifty Seven. You evidently like the Los Angeles Chargers to get there. Who do you pick in the NFC and who do you think wins? Packers and Packers. That's it. I, I just think this is, the, this is the breakthrough year. I think this is the year it all comes together. I mean, we, we already talked about the Packers in this podcast. I just think it's a special group of players. I don't think in NFL history we've seen uh, that threshold of talent and that kind of quarterback talent not breakthrough with at least a, a Super Bowl appearance over the course of years. This is the year you mentioned the warts in the NFC. I do think that there's problems pretty much everywhere, including Green Bay. They're not perfect. I'm just saying an imperfect year, a team like the Packers, with that much pure talent, with that kind of stability, with that infrastructure, that's the kind of team that wins the NFC this year. They will, and they win the Super Bowl. Kevin Clark, the ringer, you're a good man. And uh, you're really, really good at your job. And I really appreciate you joining <laughs> me on the podcast. It is such a thrill to hear that from you, Peter. You're one of my heroes. And, and anytime we talk, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just over the moon. My thanks to Kevin Clark, as always, for his insight and expertise. If you listened to that and didn't learn a lot, then you really weren't listening, were you? 
Uh, just really a smart guy and uh, happy to have him on the pod this week. So let's go over each conference, and I'll give you a little reason why I did what I did in my column in Football Morning in America this, this week. Let's start with the AFC. Pick Buffalo number one. I think they're far and away the best team in their division. We'll win it running away. Um, Baltimore, I picked for the second seed. Um, and they're going to need a win in week 18 over Cincinnati at Cincinnati, I think, to get here. I think they overlook and get past all the Lamar Jackson noise as we sit here. I'm recording this on Tuesday before the start of the season. I don't believe that Lamar Jackson is going to have a new contract by opening day. I just don't think that's a huge deal and is really going to have a big impact on how he plays or how the Ravens play. Um, I like them over Cincinnati for a very simple reason. This was the team that was most beat up in the NFL last year. Left tackle, quarterback, both corners, top two running backs, all gone um, for the stretch run of the season and some of them for the entire season. So I think now, you know, that you're, you know, you've got most of your guys back. Um, I think they're finally going to show that they're a pretty damn good team. I think the Chargers edge out the Chiefs in the AFC West could go either way. Any one of the four teams in that division could win that division. You don't say that very often, but I can say that with confidence in this case. Um, I like the Chargers. And to me, I think they're, you know, if they go, whoever goes four and two in this division, I think is going to have a real good chance to win it. Tennessee edges out the Colts uh, in the AFC South. You know, you'd be surprised at this, but I am a little bit concerned about the Indianapolis defense. I don't know that there's enough playmakers on that defense, even though they got Yannick Ngakwe, even though it looks like they're going to have Shaquille Leonard um, at the start of this season. We'll see. I might be eating my words late in the year. Wild card teams, five Kansas City, six Cincinnati, seven Miami. Um, I just think, I, hey, look, when I visited Kansas City's camp and I've talked about it on this podcast I think that the reborn player of the year, a guy who's going to be in contention for comeback player of the year, is Juju Smith-Schuster. He's so happy. They're moving him all over the map. I think that's going to be a really good player to watch this year in the AFC West. Um, finally, in the AFC, uh, I like Buffalo to beat the Chargers for the AFC championship. Uh, and as I said... Um, I think portable tables of Western New York, beware. Let's go to the NFC. Probably my biggest surprise pick was picking New Orleans to be the number one seed. Look, you know, one of my favorite stats right now in the NFL is that since Tom Brady got to Tampa, he has played New Orleans four times in the regular season. He's lost all four. And none of the four games has been a one-score game. So that says a lot to me. <laughs> you know, New even though the Bucks in a turnover-filled game for New Orleans did beat the Saints in a playoff game on the way to the Super Bowl, which is huge and is meaningful, um, those other four games, I think they say something. And to me, 
I just like New Orleans, especially with some of the issues on the offensive line that uh, Tampa Bay has entering the season. I like Green Bay number two. I think Green Bay is going to be as good as ever. I, I have them winning 12 games. That's helped, of course, by four games against the Bears and Lions, even though I think the Lions are going to be significantly improved. Um, I just like what I see out of Green Bay. I like what I saw in training camp. I think their young receivers will come through. Philadelphia wins the NFC East and beats out Dallas. I don't know many teams that are going to have the skill players at the receiving end of footballs than the Philadelphia Eagles because you look at, you know, they're, they're Devontae Smith uh, and, and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. That is some dangerous weaponry for Jalen Hurts, who I think is going to be good. The Rams, number four, listen, I just think there are too many things when you try to repeat and you add in this year 10 games against playoff teams from 2022. 10 of your 17 games are against legit contenders. Uh, I, this, is, this is a tough, tough schedule for the Rams. I got my wild card teams, number five, Minnesota, fifth seed, Minnesota, six, Tampa, seven, San Francisco. Um, I think it's going to be a, a really interesting time in the NFC come January because I don't think that there is one really premier team in the NFC. I think on paper, I like the Rams the most, but I just think that they have so many games on this schedule that you look at and say, oh my gosh, how are you going to survive all that? Finally, let's just do uh, my MVP. I've got Josh Allen winning, Justin Herbert second, Lamar Jackson third. Um, I just think at this point in his life, in his career, what I saw from Josh Allen last year in the playoffs, in the games that mattered the most, there's just one word, wow. And to me, I, I think he's going to carry that over into this season. Um, my offensive player, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to win his second straight rushing title this year. And I like Jonathan Taylor to win that. Defensive player, yes. Aaron Donald will become the first player in NFL history to win four Defensive Player of the Year awards. And his biggest contender, I got Adafe Owe the edge rusher from Baltimore, who I think with new defensive coordinator, uh, Mike McDonald in Baltimore, is going to be a real dangerous weapon this year. Uh, my offensive rookie, Chris Olave, defensive rookie, Sauce Gardner, my coach, John Harbaugh, my comeback player, Christian McCaffrey, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jameis Winston. One of those three guys, I think, is going to be standing at the end. So, that is the season preview pod. I'd love to hear your reactions. Please write to me either at Peter underscore King on Twitter or on my, uh, at my Gmail account for my Football Morning in America at Peter King, F-M-I-A at Gmail or leave a review for me on this podcast and tell me exactly what a lunatic I am.
That's it for this week's podcast. We'll be back to review week one next week. And the season is upon us. Have a great year. Have a fun year. And enjoy the games this weekend. Next week, another edition of the Peter King Podcast.